Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door and let's chat about art, architecture, history, health, real estate, design, and of course, food. Let's jump in. many of you have come back from vacation wishing that the vacation didn't have to end? You're not alone. The practice of bringing back a souvenir from our travels dates back centuries, and it hasn't always been crappy t-shirts and tiny replicas of the Eiffel Tower. We're going to dig into why we buy or even sometimes take mementos when we travel. Some of those best souvenirs that money can buy, we're going to talk about those, and even the most bizarre even cursed travel mementos that have ever made it into a suitcase. Perhaps you've come back fantasizing about permanently moving to France and having a small Parisian apartment. Or maybe after a trip to the Bahamas, you were dreaming about buying a little place on the beach where you can enjoy coconut drinks all day long. At the very least, you are probably wishing you could have had just a few more days to experience a couple more adventures. It's never easy, is it, when a vacation has to come to an end. But who says it really needs to, honestly? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just returned from a few days away in England where I was attending a wedding in Oxford. And it had been 20 years since my last trip to England. That's a long you know, time, Walker. I had a Walker. lot of time long to make time. up for. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're interested in history and design, particularly like I am, the number of museums and galleries and the architecture in London and the surrounding countryside offer unlimited opportunity to learn. And of course, I came back from this trip really wishing that I could have stayed longer, but I also came back excited and inspired. Yeah, I know. I remember. Yeah, I remember exactly, talking to you when you exactly. came home. I couldn't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. So what I really wanted to do, I felt this need to incorporate the things I saw and experienced in England back into my life when I came home. Like, For instance, when I was away, I had the best life-changing gingerbread at a pub, at a local pub. And I am not kidding about this gingerbread being life-changing. It truly was. Uh, Can I just stop you there? What pubs serve gingerbread in England? And I wish I had the name. Um, I don't have the name, but... You know what? I'll try and remember it. But it was absolutely fantastic. It came as a side with my husband's appetizer. Oh, weird. And it was not gingerbread cookies like we typically have. It was true gingerbread like sliced a like, a, like a loaf. And it was dark and rich and moist and spicy. Mm. And um, yeah, it, I mean, it was life-changing. And I can't, I couldn't stop t- thinking about that gingerbread. And I'm not 100% sure exactly what specifically it was. But recreating that recipe when I returned from my trip allowed me to create this bridge between my life here at home and abroad. And, you know, I really think that the real payoff is The fact that, you know, doing this allows me to continue to experience my vacation long after I came back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally understand that. Yeah. You know, bringing something back that captures our time away in the form of a souvenir, whether, you know, whether it's a keychain or a seashell or, you know, the typical snow globe, it's something that we all tend to do. And it doesn't matter what age we are, um, how much money we have or where we come from. It's something that people have been doing for a really long time. Yeah. 
So you said that you were away in London for about five days. Mm -hmm. Not a really long time, but it sounds like you had a really good time. Yes, I'd say it was an understatement, actually. That is an understatement. So aside from the weird gingerbread pub (laughs) scenario, what were the other souvenirs that you brought back? Well, my plan was originally to go light in what I brought back. Um, In the end, I know I'm embarrassed to say this, but I ended up having to buy a piece of luggage because I brought too many souvenirs. (laughs) I know, I know my plan was to avoid checking the luggage like you do. Yeah, I'm known as the queen of the carry-on. Yeah, unfortunately, I tend to buy gifts for birthdays and Christmas when I'm away. Um, I've always thought it was a really good opportunity to buy things that are a little different, things that my friends and family wouldn't necessarily find at local stores. Absolutely. It's a great idea, especially for those people who have everything. Yeah, yeah. For instance, I have a friend who loves everything Alice in Wonderland. So I made a few purchases in this 150-year-old shop in Oxford called Alice's Shop. It's mentioned in Lewis Carroll's Alice Through the Looking Glass, which is super neat. That's super cool. I love everything in England because of that, you know, natural history you find everywhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, what does an Alice in Wonderland purchase look like? Is it like a hookah smoking caterpillar there, Walker? (laughs) No, no, no. As you can well imagine, there's a lot of tea-related gifts. Tea cups, tea towels, tea packaged in sort of like top hats for the Mad Hatter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of prints and clocks, toys and Alice and Alice and other characters um, I thought you were gonna say LSD there for no a second. no Alice Alice um, and of course uh, copies of the book itself um, but I did buy lots of European candy as well and some royal memorabilia from Buckingham Palace store and some museum gift store items because I am a sucker for gift stores and museums so am I. They're always amazing. Dangerous. dangerous. They, yeah, very dangerous, but they have the best souvenirs yeah, there. They do. Yeah. And I did to buy some really sweet advent calendars as well. The paper ones where you open up the doors and there's a little picture inside. Those are my favorite. I love those. They remind me of when I was little mm-hmm. and I, I think you gave me one last year. Yeah, they are adorable. I can't tell you anything more about my souvenirs really that I brought um, because I might be giving away one of your Christmas gifts. Ah. I also tend to buy a Christmas ornament. Speaking of Christmas, every place I've visit and allows me to relive the travel experience every Christmas particularly I think you know we're all feeling a little bit nostalgic reflective and when the family is putting up the Christmas tree it usually starts conversations remember when we did this remember when we visited there that sort of thing Mm -hmm, totally we do the same thing um my Christmas tree is a little bit junky looking as a result but I we love it (laughs) Uh, I think my favorite travel ornament that I have is a surfing Santa that we got from Hawaii a few years back it's super cheapy looking it's like this dude in a tank top holding a surfboard with a long white beard but with bobblehead no bobblehead bobblehead. it would have been much better as a bobblehead yeah um so (laughs) with as much travel as you do though I imagine your tree must be covered in ornaments uh compared to my my tree I'm sure is sparse I'm sure your tree could probably be featured in better homes and gardens Mm. though mine not so much put it this way there's a lot of room for improvement with mine (laughs) so it we're talking about ornaments Um, My favorite ornament that I ever brought back was a small glass ornament in the shape of a yellow New York City cab. 
Um, to this day, I'm still shocked that it actually came back in one piece because it was so fragile. The glass was so thin. But my husband and I took the kids to New York City one year. And at that time period between Christmas and New Year's, we really wanted to show the kid the kids a tree in Rockefeller Center, outside Rockefeller Center. And it's a really exciting time of year to go to New York. It's packed with tourists in that time leading up to New Year's. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know what? And then actually... A close second, I would say, is one I just picked up in England, and it's the cutest little Fordham and Mason picnic hamper ornament. Aww, it's really sweet, very natural so looking. That's so cute. I want to see that one. Yeah, I actually, from this past summer holiday, mm. I picked up, I think, one of my most favorite recent souvenirs, although it's not technically a souvenir. It's uh, a reusable shopping bag, which oh. might sound kind of lame. But we were um, between trains in Narbonne, France, and we needed to get kind of like a lunch to go, a little picnic lunch. Mm -hmm. And I bought uh, a little shopping bag for two euros from the Carrefour. Mm -hmm. And it's super cute. It's just plain canvas, has a beautiful tree on it, and it has this um, message on it that says Ensemble pour la vie, mm -hmm. which is just kind of, you know, that feeling of we're all in it together I and like uh, let's make it a better place together. And I just, I don't know, it gives me a little bit of joy every time I pull it out to do my shopping. Yeah. And it's multi-purpose. Mm -hmm. Practical, <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. I get Always it. Always <laughs> like that practical. Well, you know, souvenirs don't have to be extensive, right? To bring back a little bit of an experience back into your daily life. Like I, for instance, I remember my dad used to travel for business from time to time when I was growing up. And one of my favorite childhood memories was when he used to bring me back a doll from whatever country he had visited. My favorite doll uh, was this one that he brought back from Paris. And I remember thinking, oh, she's just stunning. Her name was, I named her Monique. And it was crazy though, because I remember vividly, she came in this box and it said on the box that part of her was fire retardant. And I'm not quite sure why and particularly, uh, particularly which parts of her were fire retardant. It doesn't really make sense. Um, and I why think, wasn't she all fire I, retardant? I, I, I don't like know. Like only parts of her would go with, up in I flames? Maybe her face, her arms, and her legs were. That's pretty funny. Um, but when those, when, you know, when my dad brought those souvenirs back to me when I was little, I'm absolutely positive it started my obsession with collecting so yeah. you know it, it it really does change you it changes you mm -hmm. and you when you incorporate it back into your daily life yeah and uh yeah so that's that's a big part of my life is collecting and souvenirs yeah absolutely and I remember that too my dad used to travel a lot as well and sometimes my mom would go with him but mostly mm -hmm. just my dad and Anytime he came home, I'd be like sitting at the bottom of the stairs waiting for him to come in. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, hi, dad. Mm -hmm. But I was mostly curious about what he brought what home. What you bring me? <laughs> exactly. I get it. I've exactly. been there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Everyone brings back some sort of, uh, some kind of memento when they travel. Even if it's just, you know, in the town next over, it seems. I wonder why we do that, though. Really, if you think about it long and hard. Well, it's interesting because when I was researching this podcast I came across an actual study that mm -hmm. IHG hotels and resorts did and they called it the souvenir study huh. um IHG is a company that has like 17 hotel and resort brands under it like including Holiday Inn so some of the big big ones um and they yeah they released this study that looked at 
the habits and preferences of travelers when it came to souvenirs. Yeah. So, mm. um, well, I suppose it's a multi-million, maybe even billion dollar business when you think about it. Like, just think about one famous tourist attraction, what you'll find in souvenir stands outside there, sort of as far as the eye can see. But think about that world over, really. I know. It's intense. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a huge, huge you know, multinational, international business. Hmm. And even the small little tiny spots yeah. seem to, you know, whatever, have their little souvenir wares on display. Mm -hmm. I remember this one time I took my daughter to London for her 16th birthday and we went to visit this spooky cemetery because she's really kind of into the paranormal oh, and all that stuff. There. Such yeah, a cool it. place. I missed it. Highgate Cemetery, if you're ever in London, it is a must-do. Karl Marx is buried there, hmm. but it's just like the whole vibe. And even that place had a little gift shop with like swag, like, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, even the most obscure tiny places will have souvenirs for sale. But when I was looking at this study, they, it said that people on average spend about 30 bucks per item. Yikes. On their souvenir. I know. That's like a my lot of money. souvenir budget <laughs> obviously is pretty pretty substantially lower than that with my two dollar carry be bag. With you, I didn't pay a whole lot more than that for my actual luggage that I <laughs> <laughs> my suitcase that I brought back to actually carry my my souvenirs back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I don't know who they're talking to, but it's certainly not this demographic here. Um, but people actually, so they would bring stuff home for themselves, right. like little mementos for themselves, for their kids, but also uh, their coworkers. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Well, like us, we yeah. usually bring something back for each other. We do. We do. When I was thinking about this podcast, I wanted to know really you know, what are kind of the origins of souvenirs and what did people use to bring back? Mm -hmm. And it's the plain old postcard that was one of the most popular souvenirs and still is. Like there's postcards everywhere still in, yeah. in convenience stores or gift shops or or whatever. Well, they're affordable. They're affordable. They're, they're portable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Colorful and usually like says something about the destination on the front. And they really gained traction. I think they, you know, some things that I read said that they were started in Austria in the early 1800s, but mm -hmm. they really gained traction at the Paris exhibition in 1889. Um, and, you know, sending a postcard home from that exhibition yeah. was all the rage. So, oh, if you, interesting. so those were collectible items at that time. Yeah, well, you know what? I collect postcards, and so I'm a big fan of them. I find them, they're really fun. There's so many, you know, there's a variety of them. And particularly when it comes to antique ones, um, I like to read the back and and, yeah. and and see what people have to say to each other. But as a former archaeologist, 1889s were not really that long ago. So I'm sure travelers before, there, before that time must have been interested in bringing something home too. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like if you think about people of ancient civilizations mm -hmm. um they were known to bring back souvenirs from their travels if you particularly think about pilgrims you know going on pilgrimages to jerusalem or constantinople or you know religious sites 
they would bring back holy water or, um, you know, blessed oils, all those kinds of things. Well, now you've started something. I'm going to go and dig into this after. I a know. Bit further. Yeah, the researcher over there. <laughs> There's so much to dig into here. It's true. Yeah. And it even became like a really big business for right. the church in the Middle Ages. Like mm-hmm. all these pilgrims would buy these little items and take them home as a, like a memento or, or whatever. I don't Expensive think actually... holy water, like expensive bottled water today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the perfume of old. Um, I even came across this one uh, report that said an ancient stylus, which is a pen yeah. from the Roman times, was unearthed in London and it was dated from about 70 AD. So a lot longer ago than yeah, 1889. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was inscribed in Latin with... A little phrase that loosely translated to, I went to Rome and all I got you was this crappy pen. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that hilarious? I I'll put the that. full translation in Latin oh, um, in the show notes, but that's not all. Like people bring home all kinds of weird stuff home with them and have done over the ages. And some of it's tacky, but a lot of it mm-hmm. is like pretty gross. And I think the attraction to those things that you could never have at home or yep. could never find at home, that's what really kind of fuels the whole Absolutely. impulse. Yeah, and maybe shock and awe yeah. factor yeah, too, Yeah, there's right? definitely some psychology behind there for ab- absolutely sure. For sure. And with the bizarre things mm-hmm. that people bring home, I think maybe you get like, maybe people think they get more street cred or travel cred. If they <laughs> so bring bizarre, bizarre, like bizarre things. like what? Well, the top reported hmm. bizarre <laughs> thing that I found, uh-huh. the most recent, is Vietnamese snake wine, Ugh. which, yeah, does not sound appetizing to me yeah, at yeah. all. Um, and apparently what it is, it's a pickled cobra inside the wine that's, God knows how long it's been there. And it has some kind of health benefits for particularly the male gender, um, does not sound appetizing to me, but it kind of reminds me of like the sour toe cocktail of the Yukon. Do you know what that is? No, I don't. You probably don't want to know what it is. It's a shot what of whiskey it? with like a mummified human toe oh. in it. <laughs> is that disgusting? And I thought the cobra was bad. Yeah, no. The cobra actually is making the tequila worm look quite appetizing right now, but uh, yeah, cobra wine. That would be a wine with bite. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. God. sorry, sorry, You're okay. so sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, it probably would. I don't know. I'm never gonna sample it. Yeah. But uh, even people bring back live creatures. I was reading yeah. that there was this. I don't know if it's still going on, mm-hmm. but in um, Asia, they were selling live animals in keychains. Oh, I hate those. Yeah. The, yeah. Have you seen like that yes, before? Yes, I've seen little baby turtles yeah. in plastic enclosed. Yeah. That actually makes me very upset. It's disgusting. And, you know, people, I mean, obviously there's a whole trade mm-hmm. in um, wildlife trafficking. And I don't know if this particular story was a trafficking story or if it was just a doofus yeah, story. Right. But this one guy tried to smuggle a turtle uh-huh. across borders in a hamburger bun, oh. pretending it was a hamburger. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he got caught because hmm. turtles really don't look like 
meat patties, but anyway, <laughs> oh, you know, well, what can, what can you say? I, about I that? think wildlife is wildlife is off the menu when it comes to souvenir shopping. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. Hundred yeah. percent agree. Well, so what was the weirdest thing that you have brought back personally? I think I would have to say um, the hats for my cats. Hats for your cats. Okay, yeah. I. My daughter's made a hat for a cat, but oh, only you cute. would bring a hat back. <laughs> um, so where did you find those? I So in, this is a Japan story because they always have crazy things there, but they have all these weird and wacky vending machines. Right. And so we bought two cat hats. One is an otter and one is a shark. <laughs> One of my cats would kill me. She would never let me put it on her. But but Fat Pumpkin, right. my other cat, she sports the otter and rocks the shark on a regular basis. So they were worthwhile. They were worthwhile <laughs> for sure. How about you? What's the weirdest thing you've ever brought uh, home? Let me see. Okay. Um, not super exciting, but odd now that I look back. Um, so when I was younger... I was on um, an exchange, a student exchange, and we went to northern Quebec. And one of the excursions that they had organized was for the students to go visit a local asbestos mine. And of course, I thought nothing about picking up a couple of rocks off the ground there um, and taking them home and putting them in my drawer. Now, these clearly were not antiquity so let's get that clear but looking back at that mm, you know what maybe this is a souvenir I could have left behind having asbestos rocks in my bedroom drawers yeah is probably not the best idea now looking back with probably our not. you know all our all that we've read about asbestos in our homes absolutely <laughs> absolutely that's crazy so yeah. what about souvenirs that we did leave behind whether we wanted to bring them home but we didn't or the ones that we left behind and we are glad that we did mm-hmm. you know when I was an active archaeologist digging excavations in Greece people often used to say to me you know you probably bring stuff back from your excavation gold right you probably bring back gold and of course I would be very clear and explain that no bringing back antiquities is illegal unless you want to end up in jail you never bring anything back in your suitcase and as um you know, especially when I was a student, I was terrified of bringing of the thought of bringing back a pottery shirt, even in one of my suitcases, intentionally or accidentally, and being taken aside at the airport and thrown in jail. Yeah, that wouldn't have been too good for your archaeology career, career at the no, time. But no. what what do you know what the charge would be if that happened? Like, it would have been pretty intense. I would imagine. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I, I think it may change um, depending, obviously, on on what you're bringing back and what the circumstances were. But it is big business for some people, and whether the artifacts are uh, coming from a private or public collection and they're being robbed and sold to collectors worldwide, or artifacts that are being illegally dug up and sold to collectors again. Some people, you know, there's a a lot of people out there that are less aware of what they're doing, Mm -hmm. or they are aware that they're they're picking something off the ground, and they just don't think it's a big deal to take back a few broken pottery shirts. So, for instance, last year, there was this pastor and his wife in Oklahoma, and they were arrested when the x-ray machines at the airport in Athens identified... Um, them leaving Greece with 70 pottery shirts and 16 Ziploc bags as they were leaving with their son to go to Turkey. 70. Yeah. So 70 shirts, you know, they weren't 
big vases or anything like that. But, you know, even the shirts themselves are extremely important. Mm -hmm. So the pastor apparently taught Greek history and he wanted to bring them back to show his students and use them sort of, I guess, as a teaching aid. But they're facing charges of violating the law of protection of antiquities and cultural heritage. And, you know, it it can be something as minor as this story as well. Back in 2005, when a teen from BC was arrested and jailed for two days for picking up a pottery shirt off the ground near the Parthenon and putting it in their pocket. Now, they claimed that they were only picking it up to take a picture, um, but some archaeological sites have been damaged by millions of tourists that visit these sites every year, you know with each individual tourist that goes on that site and they figure well you know it's just a little this it's just yeah, a little that right? but it's accumulative yeah right yeah. and it leads to the damage of these monuments absolutely and i'm not so sure i buy that yeah. story like so you put it in your pocket because you wanted to take a picture of it yeah you're going to take a picture of it while it's in your pocket and yeah. then put it back i don't know if they Doesn't were going sense. to take a picture of it over somewhere else and then drop it on and the ground again bring I, it back. Yeah. i'm not quite sure sounds a little shady to me i, I do i you know i had to be satisfied with bringing reproductions back home of these famous artifacts that i had seen in books and all sort of my education leading up to that time mm-hmm. and i have a lot of these sorts of things like necklaces with reproduction greek coins and rings with artificial seal stones um you know, we really had to do that because the originals had to stay put. And the key really is to never tamper with monuments and take anything home with you that you find in the surrounding area. You know, go buy your souvenir um, and make sure that you're ma- buying ethical souvenirs. No animal products, including Turtle tortoise burgers. shell. Turtle burgers, exactly. <laughs> um, and try and get a good idea who you're buying them from if you can. You know, try and support the local artisans to support the local economy. Absolutely. Yeah, I think people really need to be aware before they travel what the local traditions are, the local expectations are, um, you know, the burdens that they're experiencing with over-tourism too. Like, let's be sensitive about that. It should be common sense that you don't chip away or damage or take anything away from a historical monument or an important site to the locals, but maybe it's not that obvious. Well, I... You know what? I think that there is an overwhelming desire to bring a piece of history back with you. And I think that when you're feeling that, not everybody necessarily is logical and not everybody um, really looks into the customs um, and expectations of a local community when you're visiting it. And, you know, they, they vary dramatically from country to country or city to city. Um, I I think a big issue is that, you know, maybe it would be more helpful if there was some signage. I know in terms of um, that situation where the teen picked up the shard and brought it home, people said, well, there should have been signage. Mm. Um, You know, I I don't think it's all the responsibility of the local country. You have a responsibility as a tourist as well. Uh, You know, you're a visitor in their country. You should maybe do a little bit of the the legwork, some research to find out, you know, what you should or should not be doing in that country. I know, or just, you know, maybe ask the person who's on security. Yeah, um, around a local, that, like, somebody local. I know when I was at the mine and they said, pick up something if you want yeah. to bring it home. So yeah. in that case, you know, we were given the go ahead. Yeah, you had the um, green But light. I think you need to ask. I think you need to inquire. You need to do your research or at least at minimum ask. Yeah, at minimum ask. But I think doing some reading in advance. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
It makes me think of your asbestos rocks <laughs> and, and this teenager at the Parthenon. It makes me think of um, the volcanic rock in Hawaii. Oh. So a lot of people don't know that it's actually illegal to pick up and take home or take away the volcanic rock. A lot of people know that there's actually a, a legend. I don't know if you know I did this not curse, know. Pele's curse. No. Um, See, I would have been cursed. I oh, know. yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be taking away lava rock from, mm -hmm. from any of the Hawaiian islands because apparently it brings a curse upon you and uh, mm -hmm. bad luck and, and all of that. And who wants to bring that home, right? Absolutely. From a nice holiday in, uh, in Hawaii. Not but, me. Yeah, so I mean, it just, but even beyond that, whether you're superstitious or not, it's it's actually illegal and you can get yourself into trouble and then that's not going to be a nice, not one of these nicer souvenirs you can bring home. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? And then I think back all the times when I was a struggling student, there were, I'm sure there were lots of things I wish I could have afforded to bring back or things I could have fit in my backpack. But now I look back and I, you know, I'm not quite sure that if airlines were as strict then as they are now with the size of the right. things that you're bringing yeah. back. You know, I have this one vivid memory of going, I think it was my very first time I went to Greece and I went with a friend of mine, a bunch of friends, but one in particular, we met back at the airport after the trip and she was walking in very proudly with this huge light up Acropolis in her arms and she could hardly carry this thing. It was so big. And I'm not sure she ended up sliding it under the seat in front of her or carrying it, you know, holding it on her lap for the entire trip. But I remember thinking... That thing is huge. How the heck is she is she going to be allowed to bring that back? But evidently she did. I think the bigger question, Walker, is why is she bringing back a giant light-up Acropolis? <laughs> Knowing my friend, I'm sure she would have a very good answer for you. <laughs> I, I, would like, I will certainly ask her for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think these days it is so much more restrictive on airplanes yeah. what you can carry back. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can get a lot of things shipped now, but right. certainly back in the day, it wasn't that easy to get things shipped. Um, when I was in um, Bordeaux recently, I was thinking about getting some souvenir wine Ooh. shipped back. Uh, that would be a souvenir that wouldn't last very long <laughs> in my house. But uh, needless to say, it, you know, I, it just worked out that I just got a wine importer at home. But, right. you know, you can you can get things shipped. But some things are just like a little too crazy and unwieldy too. So mm -hmm. you have to kind of factor that in whether or not you're going to go through the hassle of bringing it back. I remember when I was 17, I went to Mexico. It was my first independent trip okay. outside of the country. And uh, I brought back huge, three huge sombreros. Nice. Huge. Yeah. I don't even know what I did with them. Like I, the, my room at the time wasn't big enough to accommodate them. But so yeah. how did you manage to fold those up and put them in your carry on? I think they were in like the excessively sized baggage. <laughs> I, they had to be separately checked. I remember giving it to one of my friends and he was like a diminutive kind of character. Okay. So it was kind of comical. But anyway, I have no idea <laughs> where, they, where so, they are now. So tell me, have you ever had to leave something behind that you really wanted to take with you? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I see a lot of things that I dream of owning or I would love to bring home but then you're kind of having you know you're trying to select and and I am the carry-on queen so I don't bring a lot back right um but I would say really 
what I really want to bring home most of the time is where I'm actually staying, where I'm actually experiencing the beauty of whatever destination I'm in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, yeah, it makes me think of the first time I went to Italy with my kids. My third kid wasn't born yet. So it was just two, my first, my eldest two. And we stayed in this tiny, tiny town called Campagnatico in Tuscany. Mm-hmm. And it was a little hilltop town and you had to had this huge long road lined with, you know, those cypress trees. And uh, we stayed in this little estate at the top in this tiny little town, a tiny little estate. It was all walled, beautiful crumbling stone and gardens and statuary and geraniums. And it was just like quintessential mm-hmm. Italy. And I remember like just wanting to bring the whole package back. Yeah. Like the the views, the sounds, the nonas that would, you know, entertain my kids and give them candy in the playground. Like just, I just wanted to bring that all home with me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You know what? It reminds me of the time, the first time I went to Hydra, the island, and um, Leonard Cohen's home was. Oh, right. Yeah. And so the first time he smelt the orange blossoms. Yeah. And I have been trying to buy orange blossom perfume ever since that moment. Isn't that so it, interesting? I, you know what? I think it's why we buy the candles. It's why we buy the cookbooks. You yeah. You know, it's, it's reliving those experiences. Yeah. Those special, special life moments. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's what the souvenirs are all about. You know, bringing home some part of, you know, that place and bringing it home with us. Something we can share uh, with other people and keep a little bit for ourselves as well. Yeah, I think you're right. So true. So let's wrap this baby up. We buy souvenirs, like you say, to bring a little bit of a place home, bring back the essence, to keep it as a touchstone, a reminder of our experience. And sometimes we share these things, these souvenirs. Sometimes we display them. Sometimes we drink them, like my wine. Souvenirs have a really long history. The good, the bad, and the downright kind of disgusting. But they play a role in our lives and they fix our memories of good times gone by. So when you're deliberating about buying that tchotchke on your next holiday, just do it. You're keeping up a long-standing human tradition. Thank you for joining us at Home and Abroad with your hosts, Harrison Walker. Follow us each week as we continue the conversation.